Do you have questions about spanking your child? Do you allow your young child to bring a book or small toy to the table to play with while she eats? And whether you do or you don't, do you discuss this topic with your significant other? So the big question is this. How do we navigate through the mountain of overwhelming, often contradictory, and sometimes false parenting information we find online? What parenting information should you believe and apply, and what should you reject? That is the big question, and in this podcast, we will help you understand what underlies your child's behavior and explain how to react in a way that favors your child's optimal development. I'm Alexandra Scherzer, and welcome to the Wise Parenting Podcast. This is part two of the Q&A series that we've started in which we answer some specific questions that parents have asked us. We will give you short answers that get straight to the point. We want you to have some answers you can trust when you want to get an answer quickly and get a more detailed answer when you have more time. So let's begin. Here's the first question for today. Should I spank my child? This is one of the few areas in child development where I can give you a yes or a no answer. And the answer is no. Why? Well, there are four main reasons for why you shouldn't spank your child. The first is related to something I've touched on in a few episodes, and that is that you are always modeling for your child. You are modeling how to behave, modeling what to do and what to say. If you spank your child, you are showing her that if you don't like another person's behavior, the thing to do is to hit them and hurt them. The second has to do with her developing brain. Aside from modeling, spanking her not only affects her body, but affects her brain in a very negative way. Spanking makes her feel angry, resentful, defiant, and helpless. With every experience that your child lives, big and small, her brain establishes and strengthens neural connections. The more she lives negative experiences, the stronger the negative neural connections get. And seeing as her brain is literally building itself hour by hour and day by day, the positive and negative connections are forming the type of brain she will use and rely on for the rest of her life. The more the negative experiences she lives, the more the negative connections will form, and spanking is a negative experience. What is built and strengthened in childhood will partly dictate the kind of person she will become. So back to spanking and how it relates to her developing brain. These four feelings, anger, resentfulness, defiance, and helplessness are feelings for which you don't want to lay down lots of connections in her brain. If you do lay down these connections with many hard spankings, for example, these negative neural connections in her brain will be strengthened. These neural connections in her brain will affect her behavior such that she is more likely to become a bully or at the very least be aggressive with her peers and with other people. On the other hand, she may be very angry, but become a helpless person. The third reason has to do with how spanking negatively affects the family dynamic. Spanking takes away from, and sometimes prevents, the forming of loving, harmonious relationships in the short term 
and in the long term. It's hard to unconditionally love someone who hits you. And finally, the fourth reason is that Spankly simply doesn't work. What happens is that children will stop doing whatever they were spanked for for a very brief period, and then the behavior will reemerge. But the child will have learned to hide her behavior and not get caught. Or the behavior that she was spanked for will morph into something similar that her parents equally don't like. So wise parenting means parenting the best way for the best short and long-term outcomes for your child and for your family as a whole. So what about the long-term? How does spanking affect children in the long run? In the long-term, the literature shows that children who are frequently spanked have difficulty getting along with peers, have more conduct problems at school, have more difficulty making friends at adolescence, have more violent family relationships when adults, and being spanked has even been associated with criminality. The literature also shows another outcome for children who are frequently and harshly spanked, which is that the child becomes an angry but defenseless and helpless adult. Any way you look at it, spanking doesn't have a positive outcome either in the short or the long term. So for more information on punishment and discipline for young children, we have two episodes that are sure to be helpful. The first is episode 11, in which you will hear about how punishment affects children in the short and long term. And the second episode is episode 12, in which you'll hear about alternatives to punishment and why you should consider these instead of spanking, hitting, yelling, and denigrating. So moving on to the second question. Should I allow my child to bring toys to the table at mealtimes? Unlike my answer to the previous question about spanking, the answer to this question isn't a clear yes or no. The best answer for a family depends on why they either want their child to bring a toy or a book to the table or why they don't want their child to bring a book or a toy to the table. So let's first talk about parents who allow books and toys at the table. In my experience, parents allow and even encourage their child to bring a book or a toy to the table for different reasons. Some parents want their child to bring a toy or a book to the table because it helps her to eat what they want her to eat because she's distracted by the toy. Other parents want their child to have a toy or a book at the table, but for a slightly different reason. These parents allow the toys and books at the table because the child's interest in them permits the parents to talk to each other with fewer interruptions. And so now, what about the parents who don't allow books or toys at the table? Right, so some parents don't want their child to do this because they view these distractions as interfering with the child's eating. For a slightly older child, some parents don't want her to bring a toy or a book to the table because they want her to pay attention to them, or at least interact with them. It simply isn't the place for books and toys. And other parents believe that allowing her to bring a toy or a book to the table would spoil her and would teach her bad table manners. So what should parents do then? Well, it goes back to my answer earlier. Parents have to look at why they either want her to or do not want her to bring toys and books to the table. Above all, 
Parents should make this decision based on three factors. The first is their values. The second is their comfort with the decisions. And the third is their level of agreement as to what the rules should be. In fact, the parents agreeing on what the rules should be is probably the most important factor in whether or not a child should bring a toy or a book to the table. This is because if they disagree, then the interactions around the table are not going to be pleasant. Whether it's how a parent speaks to the child or asks the child to stop doing this or that, or whether it's how the parents speak to each other, will depend on how much in agreement the parents are about the rule. Some parents spontaneously make the decision and agree on the rule, whereas other parents have to sit down and discuss a rule. Whichever way they get there, making this decision is part of asserting themselves as parents. Once they've made the decision, they should be consistent about it. So what do you mean when you say that parents should be consistent about the rule once they've decided on it? When I say be consistent, I don't mean that a rule should last forever. I mean that it should be enforced consistently within a certain time span. The point of being consistent is to help your child to understand what's expected of her the next time she sits down at the table, not what will be in five years. Parents can change their decision when she gets older, one way or another. Just because there's a rule at age two doesn't mean that the rule should be enforced at age 10. So to recap, should you allow your child to bring toys or books to the table? The answer is yes, if it works positively for the family. But if doing so causes stress, causes tension, leads to negative feelings, etc., then the answer is no. However, I understand that sometimes parents coming to a decision about something like this isn't a clear yes or no for them, meaning that the parents have to work out a solution that involves compromise with which both parties feel comfortable with the outcome. So yes, you should allow the toys or books if it works positively for the family. For questions that don't involve major brain development, such as attachment and other major developmental aspects, what makes the family function more happily and harmoniously is always the best choice. So are there any more points to give parents about either choosing to allow or not allow toys and books at the table? Yes, I've already touched on a couple of these points, but I will elaborate on them now. The first point is that it's very true that the rules and expectations in the home transfer out into the world. So if parents are concerned that allowing certain behavior at home may influence how their child behaves out in public, they aren't wrong. I will say, though, that children, even very young children, have the ability to understand that different rules hold in different places. For instance, in a restaurant, we never take off our shoes, but at home, we always take them off. The important thing is that you have to be consistent and clear about which rules hold in which place. So the rule at home can be different than the rule in a restaurant or the rule at a grandparent's house. Also, as your child grows and she is better able to understand social norms, then your expectations and rules will grow with her. The second point is about spoiling. As long as your child understands that she has to follow certain rules and conforms to them, either at home 
or out of the home, then you are not spoiling her. Letting her have a toy or a book at the table isn't in itself spoiling her. It's far more related to your comfort level. And the third point has to do with making rules based on what you would like the rules to be in a few years. Some parents make rules now so that they will have set the rule that they want implemented in the future. However, the best rules for young children are those that match up with their age, understanding, and ability. This implies that as your child grows older, understands more, and is more able to comply, your rules should change. So you don't have to make rules now as a function of the future. So this answer should help you feel clearer and more confident about your family's decision regarding toys and books at the table. In this particular case, what works well for one family may not for another, and that's okay. Looking at the S, being self-aware, in our wise parenting formula, the more you understand the reasons why you feel the way you feel about toys at the table, the better off you will be when discussing what the rules should be with your significant other, the more consistent you will be able to be with your child, and the more pleasant the atmosphere at the table will be. If you would like to hear more about how children learn good table manners, then tune in to episode 15. And if you associate allowing toys and books at the table with permissive parenting, and you're trying not to be a permissive parent, then listen back to episode 23. The second half of that episode in particular will address this common association. This now wraps up part two of our Q&A series, in which we provide short answers to parents' questions. Remember that you can always get more information by listening back to the episodes we pointed to at the end of each question. Stay tuned to part three of this series in which we will answer two more specific questions from parents. And always remember, you can send us your questions. The link to Ask Us a Question page is in the show notes and for every question we receive, we always send back some information that's sure to help. We hope that you found today's podcast helpful. Come say hi on social. Our Facebook and Instagram accounts are at Dr. Solomon's Wisdom, all one word. You can subscribe to the Wise Parenting Podcast on any podcast app, including Spotify, the Apple and Google Podcast apps, or wherever you listen. Parenting advice keeps changing on us, depending on what you read and who you listen to. This is making parents feel like they're doing a bad job. And worst of all, Many parents today don't know who to trust for what is probably the most important job they'll ever have. So if you're the parent of a young child and you would like to feel clearer, more confident, and more at ease about your parenting decisions, then the Wise Parenting Academy can help you get there. With on-demand access to foundation lectures and seminars in digital, print, and audio, as well as exclusive one-on-one -on -one guidance from Dr. Solomon, the Wise Parenting Academy is the perfect next step to building the best long-term outcomes for your child. Come check us out at thewiseparentingacademy.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you will join us again.